I'd like to begin by just reminding you some of the things that we have looked at as we have gone through this study in the book of Esther. So as we bring this to a, to a close, we come to a subject that is kind of touchy if we're not careful, but as we have learned so far, there were uh, many things taking place and many, uh, uh, many different approaches to this book, many different approaches to the person that is Esther. But uh, what we've tried to do from the very onset of this is to put our spotlight, so to speak, on the providence of God. And the, the, the title of the series is Silence is Not Absence. And I'm afraid that many times we get into our mind and we get into our, uh, 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 our thought process an idea that because someone is not vocal, then that must mean that they have either abandoned or, or worse, maybe have put their stamp of approval on. And uh, as we get into some of our studies over the Christmas holidays, we'll look a little bit deeper into that specifically. But as we bring our study to a close, we come to a subject that can be very touchy. And I fear uh, that there may have been um, a day in, in, where people in spiritual leadership maybe overstepped their bounds a little bit and moved from guiding folks to Christ to being more controlling or meddling. I can remember my former pastor uh, teaching us, guys, uh, you lead sheep, you drive cattle. And pastors are shepherds, not cowboys. And uh, it's, it's something that I think in years past, many years ago, uh, a lot of times people overstepped their bounds. Well, this has kind of led to a rebellion of sorts where today most pastors are afraid to call sin out. And they're just afraid to name it what it is. And, and we, they, they, we say things like, well, it's a, a, a misgiving, or they have a, a wrongdoing, or they have a squelch in their personality, or whatever it may be. Well, that's just a weakness. Or No, 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 let's just call things what they are. They're sin. Now, in looking at this, it is this thought that kind of brings me to the question of this morning. And the question is simply this. Is it ever acceptable to point out the sins of another? And that's a, that's a tough one because I'm sure if I threw that out there, there'd be some that would say, yeah, it's acceptable. There'd be others that say, no, 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 judge not lest you be judged. And so we're going to look at this passage and we're going to do the best that we can to answer the question this morning. Is it ever acceptable. Maybe a, another way of saying it would be, should one ever expose someone else's wrong? Look with me, if you would, at Esther chapter number 7. And believe it or not, we're going to do the best that we can to finish this book this morning. And all of you that have been under my preaching for some amount of time are probably saying, yeah, right. Look with me, if you would, at the first six verses of Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. And Esther said again, uh, and the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, 
If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not contravail the king's damage. Then the king, Ahasuerus, answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he, that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Father, bless, we pray, the reading of your word to our hearts. Thank you for it. And thank you for its effect on our lives. We pray these things, Father, asking that you would remove me and empty me of self. Father, that you would speak through me as you speak to me. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When confronted with situations that call for the exposure of sin, many people will cower to the concerns uh, of the world around us. Uh, they, they seek to protect perhaps even their own reputation because they're afraid of maybe being labeled as uncaring or unloving. Uh, but uh, they may try to even, some have even let their love for someone else to be a smokescreen uh, that keeps them from approaching. Can I, can I put a, make a statement, and I've made this statement many times uh, from the pulpit, and I'm going to make it once more for you, maybe more times after this, I'm sure, but at least today, one more time, if you ever see anything in me that is not Christ-like, I am asking you, ladies, I'm giving the women in this, of this church power beyond words here. If you see me treat my wife in any way, shape, or form that does not reveal the person of Jesus Christ, call me out on it. If you ever see me treat my children in a way that does not represent the Lord Jesus Christ, I am begging you by the mercies of God that you love me enough to call me out on it. If you ever see me treat another individual, or if you ever see me act contrary to the word of God, I am begging you, love me enough to tell me. Because the most unloving thing you can do is to hide truth. The most unloving act anyone can perform is to keep truth from someone they claim to care about. This is a very difficult thing for us to swallow sometimes. It's one of those areas, you know, I tell my kids often, we, you know, there are, there are times where I have to punish or I have to discipline, and I let them know you have no idea how much this hurts me. And of course, I'm waiting for the day my youngest says, well, then let me be the one with the paddle. But I'm waiting for it. She will be the one, I'm sure. But as a parent, you understand that a very difficult thing is 
correcting your children. But because we love our children, we correct them. It is because I love my children that I will not allow improper behavior to go unnoticed. And so the most unloving thing that I can do is to keep truth from someone. And so it is with that in mind that I want to kind of move through three main things from the passage today that by God's grace is going to help us to answer that question. Is it ever acceptable to point out the sins of others? I want you to notice the first thing here in chapter number 7. If you would remember, uh, going back into chapter number uh, uh, 5, you find that the uh, Queen Esther had approached the king and asked him to a banquet. And at that banquet, she did not expose Haman, which if you're reading the story, you think to yourself, all right, here it comes, here's the punchline, and she doesn't deliver it. There's a, wait, wait, wait a a second banquet? You're going to feed this fool twice? It's like fattening him up for the slaughter, right? But it, 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 what we find that Esther here in chapter 7 is now coming to that second banquet. She has just been emboldened by what took place with Mordecai and Haman. Haman happened to guide Mordecai through the streets of, uh, of Susa here and proclaim, yeah, this guy the king loves, and I'm the one that has to guide him around. I'm the donkey. He's the, he's the loved one. This is what the king would do to one he wants to honor. And so as the queen is watching this, I'm sure she's going, thank you, God. Oh, this, is going to be, this, this isn't going to be as difficult as I thought. Because the king adores him. What's going to happen when the king finds out? So here we have Esther putting on a banquet. And the king comes in. And I want you to know that God is the God of the brighter day. Amen? God is not the God that leaves you in the dark. <laughs> Allah, he likes to leave his people wondering whether it's going to work out or not. But God is the God of the brighter day. He says, look, there's bad days here, but there's a brighter day coming. There's this trouble that you're going through, but hey, I've never left you. I'll never forsake you. Hey, guess what? I am with you always. I don't know about you, but it's difficult for me. I, I am not a very gregarious person. I don't move forward with a lot of uh, optimism sometimes. And, and I've told people, you know, if I knock on your door first, but when I go out to go door knocking or go soul winning, or something like that. If I knock on your door first and I just start giving you the gospel, please don't be offended. I'm just trying to ruin it for you before I ruin it for somebody who needs to hear it, okay? That, that's just me. That's, that's the way I... And, and it's difficult sometimes uh, to, to go out there, to put yourself out there. And I don't know if this person wants to hear what I'm, what I'm getting ready to tell. Is this person going to chase me away? I've been met at, the, at the, the door of houses before with firearms. And I'm like, I don't want that again. It's not an enjoyable experience. If you've never had that happen, come on. Let's go visiting together. I'll be glad to stand behind you. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> After a little while, Pastor, you kind of get a sixth sense for which door is going to meet you that way. <laughs> this is not going to be a fun house. Yeah. But I love the way Jesus tells us when he gives us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every people. What does he say? And lo, I am with you. Always. Do you see that? It's difficult to go out when I'm going out in my own ability and my own power. 
But when I remember the God that created everything is right there with me, and he says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. <laughs> it's like you go out visiting. You know, sometimes you go out visiting, and you take someone with you because you know you have no clue what you're getting ready to walk into. And you just need some backup, right? Maybe this guy will know how to answer the question. I've gone with many people before. Hey, will you go see so-and-so with me? Absolutely. We get to take God with us. We get to take the creator of the universe everywhere we go. And so the question, I guess, there'll be a follow-up to the first one would be, how do we get to this brighter day? Well, This kind of goes in tandem. Before moving toward a brighter day, one must realize that dark days are upon them. We can can hope for the brighter day. We can hope for the brighter tomorrow, but we're never going to start looking forward to that brighter day until we realize that there's some dark days. If... Esther had never been told, had never been informed by Mordecai, her elderly cousin, that that her people were getting ready to be slaughtered. She would have never been ready to look forward to the brighter day. As far as she was concerned, everything was fine. Hunky-dory. You know, there's a lot of people today walking walking around this world ignorant. Ignorant of a lot of stuff. And I'm not even talking about like last day stuff and end time stuff. I'm not even talking about that. They're just ignorant of the fact that they are a sinner in need of a savior. There are people walking through this world today who have no idea they are heading toward a, a, an eternal hell. They have no idea that there's coming a day where they will face the creator of the universe. They will face the judge of this world and they will have to give an account to what has been done in their life. They will have to give an account to the fact that they maybe did nothing to please God in their life. And they're walking through this world ignorant to this. So the question, again, at the beginning was, is it ever acceptable to point out someone's fault? I tell you, my friends, with as much love as I can muster, yes, it is. How are they supposed to know about a Savior if they don't know their need of one? Here we have... Esther, she's trying to find a way to look forward to a brighter day. But I want you to notice something in this. Notice, go back with me to chapter number five. Chapter number five. And so Esther gets dressed in her royal apparel and she's ready to go up to the king. And look at verse number three. It says, then said the king unto her, what wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee. To half the kingdom. You know what this means? The king couldn't just give the kingdom away, but he could give a portion of it away. And what he's telling Esther is, okay, I've signed the check. I've even dated it. And I wrote to Queen Esther, you fill in the amount. (laughs) A lot of people, you know, say, oh, just to make that one out to cash. No, no, no. Put it in my name, please. You, you can, anybody can cash cash. Put it in my name. And you're leaving the amount blank? This is what the king has done for Esther. 
But he doesn't just do it once. Look at chapter 5, go down to verse number 6. Here they are at the banquet. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be performed. But now look at our text for this morning. Look at verse number 2 of chapter 7. And the king said, Again, unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to half the kingdom. The king offers Esther a blank check, not once, not twice, three times. Have you ever made an offer to somebody and then later on you thought about it and it's like, I'm glad they didn't take me up on that. (laughs) Hey, you need anything? I'd be happy to come out. (laughs) Uh, uh, You don't? Okay, I'm offering it again. I'm offering once. Once is enough. If they said no the first time, I'm not being stupid enough to ask a second time. That's not what the king does. He lets her know three times. I'm telling you. Whatever you want. Listen to me. Whatever you want. Are you hearing me? Whatever you want. I'm going to give it to you. You know, an application to this, I want you to understand that God has offered you a blank check into his riches, his greatness, his glory. This is not one of those health and wealth, you can name it and claim it. That's not one of those type of messages. I just want you to understand the God that created everything has offered to you a blank check to have as much time with him, as much fellowship with him, as much of his glory, to bask in it, to gravel in it, to be able to roll around and just have a blast with it. A lot of people, they all the first snow of the year, praise God, we're going out, we're going to run. And then what do they do? They get in the ground and they start rolling around in the snow. That's the picture that God gives us. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which you don't have an idea about. Blank check. Blank check. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Prove me now and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. But I want you to notice something about this. That God has offered to man a blank check into his greatness, into his mercy, into his grace. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I want you to see exactly what we have available to us. 2 Kings chapter number 4. Two of my favorite characters in all the word of God, Elijah and Elisha. And a lot of you probably know why I like Elisha. He was a bald feller too. And I, I remember I had, to, I had a couple of kids on my bus route one time, Pastor. And uh, they were teasing me about being bald. And so I read to them the story of Elisha being teased about being bald and a couple she-bears coming out of the woods and mauling them to death. That ain't true. It's in the Bible, man. It's true. Now, what were you saying? (laughs) Just have some fun, kids. But but I want you to notice something here in 2 Kings chapter number 4. Here we have the widow in debt. Notice in verse number 1. Now there cried a certain widow of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. 
saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So when she went from him and shut the door upon him and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet another vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. So let's look at what took place here. This woman had a need. She was a widow, and and the creditor was coming to call in the debt, and uh, she didn't have the money. All she had was a pot of oil at home. That's it. That's all she had. And she's telling Elisha, this guy's coming, and he's going to take my two sons, and they're going to be his slaves. What am I going to do? He says, go get as many pots as you can find. That's what he says, not a few. In other words, as many as you can gather. And so she brings all these pots into the house, and she starts pouring the oil into that pot. What do you know? (laughs) Give me another one. Poured it into that pot. Give me another one. Poured it into that pot. Are you sure there's not a hole in this thing somewhere? Pour it into the next pot, into the next pot, into the next pot, into the next pot. And it says that she did this. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door and opened unto her uh, and her sons who poured, uh, who brought the vessel to her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me yet another. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And that's when it stopped. God has offered to you a blank check that is only limited by how much you're willing to receive. This woman could have kept filling it if the pots never ran out. But once she didn't have anywhere else to put it, it stopped. The question that I would ask you is, are you limiting the grace of God in your life? I'm blessed enough. I'm I'm good. I'm I'm okay, you know. But hey, somebody else might need blessings, but I don't. I'm 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 good. My my pot's full. Go get another pot, and then get another one, and then get another one, and keep begging the Lord. Please pour out your mercy, your grace, your love. I want as much of you as I can take. I when I start to run out of room, I want to start getting other things out of my. You would have thought that she would have been. Wow, we're poor. You know what? That big pot of flour over there, throw it away. Bring it over here and fill that one up. Uh, I know that's your daddy's ashes over there. Dump them out. We're getting more. <laughs> yeah, some, some of you wives are out there going, amen, you know. 
Put him in a Ziploc bag. It'll be okay. We'd be looking for anywhere. You mean I'm going to sell this and make money? Uh, We'd get excited about that one now, wouldn't we? God has given you a blank check, my friend. Esther then reveals the problem. Look back at Esther chapter 7 with me, if you would. She reveals the problem to the king. She lets him know that the people are about to be put to death. And then if you look at verse number 5, he says, The king Ahasuerus answered and said unto the queen, Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Now, I know Veggie Tales likes to make it look like she was going, um, it's that guy. I don't think so. I think after watching the display that took place the day before with Mordecai and Haman, I think she was a little more emboldened by it. And when the king says, well, who in the world would do such a thing? That guy right there. That guy right there. Him. Like a sister selling out her brother. He's the one that did it. Not me, Dad. Wasn't me. Mm-mm, he did it. Oh, this angered the king. Angered the king. When Esther reveals this, this shocks him. But when he returns to find his wife being disrespected, he is infuriated even more. Look what takes place. It says, and the king, verse 7, And the king, arising from banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden, and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden unto the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed upon es- whereupon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word in, uh, went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing to be betrayed by your best friend. Then you come into the room, and it looks like your best friend is trying to do Lord knows what with your wife. He is furious. The guards didn't even wait for the command. They just grabbed him and covered his head up. You know, Herodotus, the Greek historian that was writing about this time and writing about what took place, he wrote about Xerxes coming against Greece. When we talked about that a couple weeks ago, Xerxes is a uh, a campaign against the Greeks. And if you're familiar with Leonidas and his 300 Spartans, this is that Persian king that went up against Leonidas. Everybody's like, oh, I know that one. They made a Hollywood movie out of that. Now, Herodotus wrote of this, and when Xerxes had to return home, Herodotus said he returned to face his cold, vindictive wife. Ooh. This is what Herodotus wrote 
about Queen Esther. Cold and vindictive. Now, before all childhood visions of Esther are completely dashed, I want you to understand something. Whenever, whenever we are tasked with exposing sin, there's always going to be someone who will misread the situation. Always. Here's a man begging for his life, and she just hands off and lets the guards take him to the gallows. To the outside world who knew nothing of what was taking place, I'm sure she looked cold and vindictive. And she may very well have been cold and vindictive. We don't know. But I wonder what would have happened if she was more concerned about looking cold and vindictive would she have followed through with what was right? Would she have exposed the problem? You see, many run from the truth found in God's word. But the Bible, the Bible is not a whipping post. Please get this right. When we read the word of God and it says uh, that uh, the, uh, uh, those who uh, uh, perform such activities are, are worthy of death or, or they have their part in the lake of fire. When we read those kind of things, we don't look at the word of God and say, oh, that word of God is so harsh. It's so mean. It's so cruel. No, 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 no. Please understand something. This is a love letter from God to you, letting you know, hey, you are not perfect. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. That is a love note. We can go, oh, well, the, the Bible just points out all the bad stuff people do. I'm not all about the Bible. I'm all about the Bible. It's because of this that I know I need Him. The Bible is not a whipping post. It is the most beautiful love letter you will ever read in your life. But there will always be people. Oh, how can you how can you read something like that and be okay with it? Because if I hadn't read that, I wouldn't know him. It's the most unloving thing not to reveal truth. You see, God has repeatedly shown his desire, repeatedly shown it to pour out his blessings. But, but I want you to see something in this. The most unloving thing that I can do is to, reveal the tr- is to not reveal the truth about sin only when I am confronted, only when I am confronted with my sin can I address my sin. Can I, can I just offer you a couple things here real quick? Don't fear the insults of the world. Don't fear the insults of the world. Somebody's going to come up and say, well, you shouldn't preach against that kind of stuff, Pastor. You shouldn't tell people that they're, they're, they're dirty, rotten sinners. Look, man, <laughs> I'm about the dirtiest, rotten sinner you'll ever meet. And he forgave me. Well, Pastor, come on, it's, it's just a little unloving. You're going to name those kind of things. You're going to point those things out? Yes. 
Yes. Because how in the world is someone going to know that they need forgiveness if they don't know that they have offended? You and I have probably been there. How many times has somebody come up to you and told you, you know, you did this wrong and it really bothered me? And you're like, I had no idea that I had ever said such thing or that. But I'm sorry. Especially when you care about someone. You mean I, I, I offended you? Oh, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I did not mean to do that. I want you to notice something else. Remember that sin separates us from God. Remember this. Sin separates us from God. And the Bible reveals this. And that's what helps us become reconciled with him. Is someone that you love today separated from God because of the sin in their life? Do you have someone that you love <laughs> that is separated from their maker because they are clinging to sin and they don't want to let go? If that is you this morning, and you have not gone to them and shown them how they can know Christ if only they would let go of their sin. How can you say you love them? I submit to you that the reason we don't is because of one of two reasons. One, we don't truly love the person that we are hiding the truth from. Or two, we really don't believe the truth. Because if I believe with all my heart that this is true, then everybody that I love, I'll tell them about it. There's people that would be quicker to proclaim a politician or a news outlet or an outlet store faster than the truth found in God's word. Look at the new hope that is revealed and we'll start to make our way toward closing. Chapter number seven, Haman had been dealt with, but what could be done about this decree you see, the, there was an old decree that was made. A decree had gone out from God that the soul that sins, it shall die. And so here we have in, in, in Esther's day, here in Esther chapter 8, she is confronted with the fact that there was a law that was signed in the king's name and with the king's signet. And that law could not be annulled. That law could not be voided out because it was signed by the Medes and the Persians. This Medes and Persian type of law was made for this very purpose. And it's such a beautiful picture of God. 
There was a decree that went out from God himself that the soul that sins, it shall die. Why? Because God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. And he is bound by his perfection. He is bound by his, his righteousness. He is bound by his holiness to destroy sin. And all that is tainted with sin, God must destroy but he poured out his punishment on Jesus Christ. You see, the old (laughs) was that the soul soul that sinneth, it shall die. But guess what? I'm praising God for the New Testament verse that lets me know, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, Esther here, she talked to the king. She says, what can we do about this law? He says, we'll have to make provision and he let everybody know they signed it in Mordecai was instrumental in the in the orchestrating of it all and they signed into a law to where all the Jews were able to now not just be slaughtered they could take arms they could rise up they could defend themselves whatever means necessary anybody comes to attack you you've got the right to put them back down His perfect holiness. God cannot. Not punish sin. He can't. It would violate his perfection. He is bound by it. But he didn't just go. Oh well. He said I'll make provision. Anyone that abandons themselves. And follows me. I'll pay for it for them. I'll pay for it for them. This new decree was made for us. You look at Romans 10, 13. John 3, 16. Everybody knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that believeth in him shall not perish, but have what? That's right. This new decree had to be made. And it was made for us. But I want you to notice something about this new decree. Is it required action on their part. Chapter 9 introduces us to the Jewish holiday of Purim. And the Jews destroyed their enemies. And and this is something for you to read on your own time. I'm trying to give you... Step one, two, and three, and all this. So you can take a moment and read this on your own time. But look at chapter 9, verse 17 to 21 with me. It says, On the thirteenth day of the month of Adar, and on the fourteenth day of the same, rested they. And they uh, made it the day of the feast and gladness. But the Jews that were in Shuzan uh, assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth thereof, and on the fifteenth day. Uh, of the same, they rested and made it a day of resting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages uh, that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month of Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and send, uh, of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces to the king of Hajuarius, both nigh and far, to establish this among them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly. 
So here's what happened. On the 13th day, the people rose up to try to kill all the Jews, and the Jews, they stood their ground. They defended themselves. But in Susa, if you were to read the full story, in Susa, uh, they did not just do it on the 13th, but on the 14th, they, they kept arms. and they, uh, So the people on the outskirts, they stopped the 13th. They were finished on the 14th. They rested. But in Susa, it waited until the 15th. So the 14th and 15th day of the month Adar in the Jewish calendar was a day of celebration called Purim. It was a celebration. It was a holiday for them to look back at the deliverance of God, at the providence of God. But I want you to get this before we go any further. Here's that station identification. You ready for it? The only people who could celebrate were the ones who took advantage of the second decree. I'm going to let that one sink in for a second. The first decree was that all the Jews could be killed. The second was you can defend yourself. But the only ones who were around to celebrate were the ones who defended themselves. There were some who maybe said, oh, I'm okay. They're not actually going to try to kill us. We'll be all right. Maybe there were others that thought, oh, I got time. It doesn't take too long to make a sword and uh, learn how to use it efficiently. It doesn't take too long to put together a spear. It doesn't take too long to make shields and to fortify. It, it, It doesn't take too long. I'll wait, and when it gets a little bit closer, I'll take care of it then. And then the day arrives, and they're like, whoa, uh, put it off too long. There are people today who are putting off Christ. And when the day arrives that we stand before God and the books are open, they won't be able to celebrate because they did not take advantage of the second decree of whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They're waiting around. They're putting it off. I'm okay. God's not going to punish me. Nothing's going to happen. We're all going to be all right. No, my friend, I'm sorry. God lets us know in his word we're not going to be all right. But I got it taken care of if you trust me. And if somebody wants to put it off and ignore the promise of trusting in him, they will not be around to celebrate when the time comes. Today, we are faced with a choice. We're faced with an opportunity to see our enemy. Not only to see our enemy, but to see the result. And so I'm going to offer to you some choices this morning to make. Perhaps you're here today and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior. You've been putting it off for some reason. We don't know why. Only you know. Can I let you know, you and I don't deserve it, but Christ made it possible to be right with him. 
And perhaps you're here today and you've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Or maybe in the back of your mind you're thinking, it's really not a big deal. But this morning something confronted you of your sin and your need of a Savior. And you're sitting there this morning going, what am I supposed to do? Can Can I expose to you just a few choices that need to be made? First, recognize your selfish sin. You've got to recognize it. Maybe, maybe it's not you in need of a Savior. Maybe you've been withholding truth from someone. And today's the day you need to drop that. Quit worrying about, well, what are they going to think of me? You know what they're going to think of you when they're burning in hell? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, that's awful harsh, Pastor. I'm just giving you what the Bible teaches us. Why didn't you tell me? You said you loved me. And you kept this from me. You need to recognize your selfish sin. Number two, face the reality of its result. My sin separates me from God. My selfishness may be the cause of separating someone else from the love of God. May stand in their way of coming to know him. Third, I will embrace the remedy. (laughs) It's one thing to see the problem. It's another thing to take the pill to correct the problem. You know what the answer is? Humbling yourself in the sight of God. Just be obedient to him. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, I can't give it to you any simpler. Give up on you and turn to him. You're never going to be good enough. Never. Your little baby is not going to ever be good enough. As much as you want to think that they are. (laughs) They're never going to be good enough. The only remedy. Is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Turn from yourself. And turn to him. Last thing. And I'm done. I will understand. That the time. Is short. You're not promised tomorrow. James said it this way. What is your life but a vapor? It's cold outside now. And you can walk out and you can go. And you see the vapor and that steam coming out. And it just trails off and dissipates. Life is that fast. Life is that short. And it's getting closer and closer to the end. What are you doing about it? Have you trusted him? And have you loved someone enough to tell them the truth?